Hi, and welcome back to a new series of the Dev Ball Area podcast. Um, it's been a while since I've had time to do a podcast, and that's largely for issues um, that I'll go into a bit later on. Um, but pod-wise, the intention is always to do them regular, and now the season started, I'm aiming to do one a month to try and cover things over the course of that period. Um, so in this podcast, I want to talk about the Rugby Championship, um, now that that's finished, the Women's Barbarians, which I think is a really interesting concept, and I'd like to talk about the Jordan rugby team that I've been involved in uh, and taking up all my time. Um, if we have time, I'll maybe talk about some of the domestic rugby in the Pro 12, or sorry, Pro 14, and the Premiership, but that will be uh, t- entirely dependent on, on time, because I like to keep these down to about 15, 20 minutes. Um, so let's kick off with the Rugby Championship. Um, in truth, I haven't enjoyed it as much as I have done previously. Um, and while certainly the South Africa versus All Blacks game in Cape Town was a was an absolute cracker, it's been clear that New Zealand have been significantly better than everybody else. Now, for me to find sport compelling, there has to be an element of risk. Got if there's a team that's so incredibly dominant, um, it, it becomes quite sort of functional as sport. Um, from a coaching perspective, it's like different. Obviously, you can you can gauge your performance and things like that, but um, as an impartial, something like the rugby championship, I haven't been able to enjoy it because there hasn't been um, there hasn't been that overall competitiveness that you like to see in in a sport, certainly in international sport. Um, but within the championship, there's been some interesting things going on. I think uh, <coughs> South Africa's switch of style in the last game was really interesting. I think Australia have um, been on quite an interesting path throughout the championship. I think where they are at the end of the championship compared to the start of the championship is quite uh, significantly different um, Argentina continue to be uh, a frustration um, seem to be stuck in permanent uh, transitional phase um, but yeah so I mean <coughs> Australia yeah I, f- I found their, their arc over the course of the tournament really interesting um, I think they're getting there I, I, I like the look of the back row uh, I, I think it's quite a powerful back row it's starting to settle and develop at a seriously rapid pace uh, very aggressive back row and I like that um, I find the Foley and Bill axis really interesting uh, I think there's issues in defence within the, the team and specifically those two at 10-12 but I think um, I, I'm not a fan of these systems that hide people away and I think just let them defend um, but I think the payoff with them in attack is actually significant, especially when they get on the, f- on the front foot ball. Uh, I know Bill's been taking on a lot of kicking, dropping back into the 15 position as a counter-attacker, but I like it when he plays uh, up on the line, and I think he and Foley uh, work really well there, and I think we saw that back in the, the World Tiles back in 2013. Um, I think when they uh, won the championship, and I think, uh, yeah, I think we're... Um, I think we're starting to see that come together uh, Bill's definitely been a, a good player I think defensively he's not as weak as people think yet yeah, sometimes he'll get run over but that's that's always the way but I think he's less likely to get run over in the 12 position or defending in the line than he is sitting about out of the back as we saw against uh, against South Africa now when he just got trampled over um, but yeah I think, it, I think they're getting there I do think there's a massive issue in the back three for them though I find it so imbalanced. Um, Falau is obviously a great, great player. Um, 
but Kovai and Henry Spate, I think the three of them working together doesn't work as a, a back three. I don't think it has the ability to really change the game. Now, I really like Reese Hodge, um, and I really like what he brings uh, to the game, but I think it's wasted out on, on the wing. He, he has quite a significant impact on there, don't get me wrong, but I really um, would really like to see him move to 13. Now, I know Kudrani is the choice 13 there, um, and, and that's understandable, but there's something significantly lacking from his game for me. Um, and Hodge reminds me of Sterling Mortlock in, in, in all sorts of ways. Um, obviously got a huge boot, very powerful runner, um, but I think he's a far more intelligent player than we get to see. The, the lines he picks and the places he pops up uh, and the impact he has are, are very, very reminiscent of Mortlock. Um, and if you think back to when Australia were you know, almost dominant in the world game, uh, and you had like people like Herbert, Mortlock, Flatley, you know, all <coughs> all playing through the uh, through the midfield. Um, they've always been really good when they've had a, a distributor at twelve and a thirteen that could uh, can straighten and and how you know punch the line. Now with Bill, <coughs> they've got that. They've got a guy who can bring it to the line, can narrow the defence with footwork rather than punching over. It. And then they've also got a powerful guy in Kudrani at the moment. But I think Hodge can do that um, job just as well and I think he is a better rounded player than uh, Kurdani so I'd, I'd really like to see um, on the Autumn International sorry, or, or the Spring Tour as uh, some Hemsworth guys will say I'd really like to see Hodge move to that position or be given a, a run there um, I, I know they've looked at him as a 12 and that but I think that's I think that could be a really good position for him I think he has the power and the pace to, to play there and make a really big impact um, so I'd really like to see that because I think uh, I think if Australia can continue with their developing their pack the way they are, their solid set piece and starting to to, to really impose themselves, I really really like Adam Coleman. I think he's a, an aggressive, nasty uh, second row, and I I, I like that. I, I really like seeing somebody uh, stand up and, and lead from the front, and he drags people along with him. So him with him, McMahon, Hannigan, and uh, Hooper, I think they've got a really, really nasty spine to the team and uh, to the to the pack, and I think that's that's uh, really good. Um, and I think that they could, I think they'll surprise a couple of people when they come up to uh, to Europe this this uh, this November. I, I don't think they'll, I don't think they'll get the, uh, the humping that people might think they have. They've jumped up to third, I think, now in the world, which is maybe not truly reflective of where they are. Um, but I think uh, I think they could give, give England a fair old scare. Um, but yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Now South Africa <coughs> in the championship has been really interesting. I I know Kutsi is trying to uh, develop their game, but I don't think it works. Um, I, I think you have to, as a coach, I think you have to look at the strengths of the squad you've got and build your game plan around that. I, I think taking a, a squad and asking them to play a game plan that isn't uh, their natural game plan is, is a dangerous thing. Um, and regardless of what we see in Super 14, or, or sorry, Super 18, <coughs> uh, South African, the foundation of South African rugby is power. Um, and whilst uh, you can't just have a power game, um, I think it would be the best thing for South Africa to have that as the fundamental around which they build. Um, being able to get on the front foot and, 
and dominate contact. It's invaluable, especially in international rugby. And no matter what people say, <coughs> being able to to dominate the contact is is, is key. Uh, we talk about rugby being an evasion game and spaces not faces and things like that, but the fact is at some point you take contact. You either take it in defence as a defender or you take it uh, in attack as a ball carrier. And you need to be able to win that collision. It, it, there's no other way to put it. Um, with a player like Yanchi's at uh, 10, he's a, he's a clever footballer and he's a great passer. But to utilise those skills, he needs to be on the front foot. And to be on the front foot, he needs uh, a pack and a midfield that can get over the game line so that he can then play off of that front ball, front foot ball, and, and bring runners into the gaps, which is what we saw against uh, a little bit against uh, New Zealand. And, and I think that was a significant change. They, really had, a, they had a pack that was, uh, was able to stand up, was able to fight. They had a whole 15 that was able to get over the back line. And don't get me wrong, there were still issues in, in things like defence and stuff like that. And... I don't think anyone really thought they would beat New Zealand, but <coughs> as, as, as a measure of performance, they went up an incredible level. Um, I think we saw a blueprint of the, where they need to go. Now, it doesn't mean they should abandon playing wide rugby or, or running rugby, but uh, it's certainly an element they can build on top of that power game. Now, obviously, um, playing that kind of physical go-forward rugby is very tiring. Um, it has quite a... Quite a Heavy, it's quite a heavy workload and it has a quite a big impact on players injury-wise and things like that. But out of all the nations in the world, they seem to be, you know, they seem to be able to produce players who can play that game. They always have uh, players who can step up physically, um, and hopefully we'll see uh, could see go back to kind of bringing that into that, that back into the into the game plan. I think what he's done with the wider game is fantastic, but I think for it to be truly effective, they have to be able to play on the front foot. So I think it was really interesting seeing them play against New Zealand um, because I think that's definitely a blueprint for them coming up to to uh, Europe. And again, like uh, Australia, whilst they haven't done brilliantly in the um, in the rugby championship, I don't think they're going to be a, an easy game for anybody uh, anybody in Europe. Um, which brings us now to New Zealand, and uh, yeah, New Zealand are New Zealand. They um, they're just maybe two years ahead of everybody else. Um, <clears throat> yes, I know they drew a series with the Lions, but clearly they had some injury problems. Uh, also lost Sunny Williams and, and things like that. So slightly more unsettled now that they're into their cycle and, and just um, they've got their kind of game rhythm going. Uh, they're a phenomenal side again. Um, broken field running is just incredible. Um, just those basic skills are just executed at such a level that so far above what everybody else has done at such a pace and under such pressure um, they still play a very simple game plan they are they don't waste the ball um, I've mentioned this guy a few times Simon Gleave, he's an analyst on Twitter um, he does 22 entries uh, for pretty much all the games, he's done one for every single game in the rugby championship and he's done an overall um, is an overall chart for the end of the, the championship. It's really interesting, but it, it shows that um, international rugby is about taking opportunities early on. So international defences are so good, they get set <coughs> after two or three phases and it's almost impossible to break them down. Now we saw South Africa do it at the weekend after sort of 14, 15 phases, I think. But one of the trends that this an analysis showed 
is that teams score in two or three phases or they tend not to score at all. Um, so what you'll see with the 22 entries is teams come into, come into the into the 22 and either score or, or they're gone. They don't build multiple phases and then get a score. And New Zealand, um, whilst Australia have kind of kept pace with them on and entries, uh, are slightly more efficient. New Zealand enters so often that they've just got a, a, a far better strike rate. And that's why we're seeing teams score, this is why we see them score from uh, turnover counter-attack ball or from first phase, whilst so, you know, they, they do like to tackle first phase when the field is, where the defence is compressed into one small area and then you have a, you know, the forwards at a mall or a, sorry, at a scrum or a line-out and then you have the backs stretched out covering the rest of the field and that creates space for them to attack, they can start manipulating defences so they they're able to move you into position off the first phase and then second or third phase they're, they're kind of where they want to go and that's where they're so good and this is where uh, this is why you have to hit them down on the on, on first phase you have to stand up on first phase and get your defense set and this is where the lions would agree really well and this is where the australians and uh, south africans haven't done so well this this rugby championship but i think we're starting to see defenses get on top of that so it'll be interesting to see how they go uh, when they come uh, it'll be interesting to see how New Zealand go when they come to Europe. I don't think they're going to. Um, I don't think they're going to lose. I think they're, they're going to beat pretty much everybody and maybe drop one game. Um, but I think uh, it'll be interesting to see how many teams adopt the Lions' kind of a flat blitz defence um, against them, as opposed to against Australia and, and other teams. Um, so that's pretty much it on on the rugby championship. Nothing massively in depth. Um, but yeah, an interesting rugby championship, but not the most enjoyable for the uh, impartial like myself. Um, probably more frustrating for, for for fans watching it. Um, so yeah, this week they announced that there's going to be a women's barbarians team, uh, which I think is an absolutely fantastic idea. It's a huge step forward for equality. Uh, I'm not sure why it's taken so long. Uh, the Lions concept that was floated in the summer, I can understand that's a little bit more difficult, but um, for as long as, you know, as long as uh, women's rugby's been going, uh, why this hasn't been done before is, is, is incredible. Um, I've played <laughs> in a lot of countries and there's been barbarians, you know, variations on the barbarians themes all over the place. And I know this is the official barbarians, but but yeah, it just seems incredible that this has taken so long to, to happen. Um, and I think, yeah, it's a great step for quality, but I think for development of women's game, I think it's a massive step, um, both kind of promotionally <coughs> and also for development within the game. Um, promotionally, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's really high profile, it's fantastic, it's got people talking about it and the concept, it's, it's just brilliant. I think playing against Munster is, is, a, is a great touch because, um, if you think about the history of Munster and the Barbarians in the men's game, I think to tap into that is, is just a brilliant move. Um, uh, or Munster's kind of history with touring sides and then the Barbarians, it's, 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 it's a great move. It's a really, really good idea. But what I really like about this is how they will be bringing, <coughs> um, in the same con same way they do with the men's, obviously, and, and the same way with the Lions, they're going to be bringing players from all over together to work in a different environment. Now, obviously... The concept of the Barbarians is slightly a bit more looser and a bit more kind of, you know, obviously play running rugby, social side, all those kind of things. But I think it will be a little bit less of that with the women's rugby. And there'll be some of that, obviously, but I think um, it'll be a, it'll almost be a hybrid between the Barbarians and the Lions. I think that's a fantastic thing, taking 
people out of their natural environment, maybe that was with England, Ireland, New Zealand, whoever, <coughs> and then putting them into this, uh, you know, this combination side, exposing them to different uh, players, it's different coaches. I think it's fantastic for the women's game in general because they can then take that back, and it's just cross pollination of uh, rugby culture and rugby ideas. And I think that's a fantastic, um, I think that's a fantastic thing to bring in. Uh, certainly. Um, it, it's something that the men's game has really benefited from and I think it really helped in development I don't think we're going to see quite the same level of running rugby that you would expect from the men's because the skill level or, or the skills on display I don't want to say skill levels are different because they're not um, or, or not or lower than they're, they're not they're different it's a different game completely um, men rely on on the physicality and this is getting into kind of talking about women versus men rugby but I just I think there's more natural skill on display in the women's game than there is in the men's game I think men can get by with a bit more physicality they can mask um, deficiencies and I don't think you get that as much in the women's game I think the women who play at the top level are um, pound for pound you know probably more skillful uh, within the range of skills that are required. Um, not sure that really makes sense, but what I'm saying is, uh, it's, it's going to be a different game, and I don't think you're going to see them running from one end of the pitch to the other. I think you're going to maybe see a slightly more pragmatic approach to playing the game, um, maybe more system-based. But I think it's going to be really fascinating to see how they come out, whether or not we see them slinging it from one end of the pitch to the other. I'm sure, we'll see a little bit of that, but but I think it'll be a almost more test rugby like which remains to be seen um, so t I can see time's running um, so the last thing I want to talk about is uh, Jordan Rugby um, so if you've been following me on Twitter or on Facebook or following the blog you've seen I've been working with Jordan Rugby over the last uh, year uh, with their sevens team um, <coughs> we've just finished our second tournament uh, or I've just finished my second tournament as part of their coaching staff uh, we played in the Arab Nations Rugby Championship. Jordan actually hosted it. So there was um, Jordan, obviously, Egypt, Morocco, Lebanon, UAE, uh, Iraq, Palestine, uh, all, all present. Um, it was a really interesting tournament. Uh, so last March, we started, uh, sorry, last January, I started working with them. We went to Qatar in March to play in the Asia Rugby Sevens Trophy. Um, that was our first kind of step into that arena. Uh, we finished ninth. We took the bowl home. Um, played against Pakistan and Singapore in the pools. Stood up well, but but didn't win the games. Um, so this was an interesting tournament because we needed to kind of take another step on. Um, and it was it was a high high standard tournament. It, it, it was going to be difficult. Morocco and, and Egypt are. Uh, significantly stronger than the rest of the tournament so uh, we were lucky enough that they were in the opposition pool so our pool was Iraq, um, Libya and uh, UAE. Um, we managed to top the pool although we did lose to Iraq uh, in a bit of a kind of shock loss in the last pool game of the first day. We played Egypt in the semi-final and lost kind of 30 points to nil um, which whilst not not happy about. Obviously, it was it was kind of expected. The standard of rugby 
but Morocco and Egypt were playing uh, significantly better than everybody else, just the kind of the style of play and the flow behind it. Um, we also had a lot of injuries. I think we picked up six injuries, six, six significant injuries over the course of the tournament. Uh, some hamstring tears, a dislocated shoulder, a, a very serious concussion. Um, <clears throat> we had to bring in medical jokers on the sort of the end of the first day, and to to finish um, third in that tournament, uh, having lost half of your initial squad, I have you know it's, it's quite an achievement um, and, and testament to how hard these guys work. Um, the overall process has been really interesting. Um, we've been working three months leading into the tournament. The guys have been training three times a week. And the right, I, I'll be writing about this on the blog. I'm still going over sort of the previous tournament. Um, but they've been training three times a week, two hours on a Monday, a Wednesday, and then a Friday morning. Um, facility, you know, they've got quite limited access to facilities. Uh, haven't trained on a, an AstroTurf pitch, so it's been very fitness and skills orientated with a little bit of contact work, which possibly worked against us um, conditioning-wise when we came to the tournament. Um, but it's been, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a really interesting, um, it's been a really interesting pathway. Um, we now go on to build towards the Asia Rugby Trophy again in next March. Um, top four qualification in that, I think, sends Jordan or sends whoever plays in that tournament to the uh, Asian Olympics next summer, which would be, you know, an incredible achievement um, in in one year. Whether or not we can get there remains to be seen. Uh, there's two chances to qualify next year. Um, my outlook as a coach is about obviously always trying to do a little bit better than we did last time. So in Qatar last March, we won the we didn't qualify for the cup and we won the bowl. This time coming into the tournament, um, obviously before before in the tournament you you go there wanting to win, but having seen how Egypt and Morocco played, you know it's very clear that that probably wasn't going to be possible. So we reassessed. We wanted to make sure we qualified from a pool for the cup. Um, and you know, and then when we did, we set out that we wanted to at least get third, try and top, finish top three, which we did. So very, very happy about that. Um, so now going on to the tournament in March, we need to set new targets um, and, and, and again take another step forward. It'll be interesting to see whether or not we can do that. Um, one of the good things about this kind of this tournament cycle is we've uh, managed to expand our squad. So when we played last January, we maybe had. 14 guys, 15 guys to select from, with a lot of guys on the fringe. We've now expanded that to maybe 24, 25 guys who can all come in and out, uh, as we saw uh, in the tournament when we lost six players and we were able to bring in uh, two, we brought in two medical jokers um, and they were able to come in and, and, and do what we needed them to. So it's really interesting um, and really interesting being around uh, other teams, other international coaches, met guys like Apollo Perellini, previously met guys like Ben Gollings. Um, so yes, for me as a coach, it's, it's been really interesting and as an, an analyst being able to get footage almost immediately after a game, run it, run um, team an analysis sessions where we can talk about what we're seeing and things like that. It's been really, really, uh, it's, it's really enjoyable to kind of put the kind of stuff I do um, via the dead ball area actually into practice, looking at games, breaking down what's going on, discussing it and, and then um, trying to implement uh, the solutions we find and things like that so that's been a really really interesting uh, 
interesting process. So um, I don't know who listens, but Kobe, if you do have the chance to do video analysis sessions with your players, like take it. It's it's such an interesting uh, process. Um, obviously, there can be times when you need it, but when you get players actually offering solutions and discussing things, it, it's fantastic. Uh, you get a real gauge for what they're learning from you and what they're learning from the, uh, the program you're running. So yeah, I highly recommend it if you've got any any scope to do video analysis uh, then, then do so with your players because it's a really enjoyable experience for you as a coach and it's really really uh, helps ground them in all the fundamentals um, and it's, it's it's easy to demonstrate what you're trying to articulate to them uh, especially here where there's a, a slight issue with some with language barrier all the guys speak English but to varying levels uh, of ability so being able to actually demonstrate what I'm trying to say to them visually is is, is absolutely uh yeah it's fundamental in what i'm trying to do it's been really, really anyway regardless it's been a really interesting process um i'll be writing it up on the website i'm just going to finish up the uh tournament from last march and then i'll move on to the Arab nations cup um but yeah really really good really enjoyable um right so i can see the time's kind of there it's been 25 minutes i said i want to go for 15 i've run about 10 minutes over so um I'll try and get something up about the Premiership and the European Cup at the weekend. Um, I'll call it a day on this for the moment. Um, so, yeah, thanks for listening. If you aren't, then please follow us on Twitter, uh, Facebook and YouTube. Um, and obviously check out the blog and try and keep updating it. My time's been really uh, used up a lot with uh, coaching the team, but now we're out of the tournament, I've got a little bit more time, so I'm hoping to get a lot more analysis, a lot more kind of obvious analysis up for you guys um and yeah please hit me up on twitter if you've got any questions if you've got anything you want me to talk about on the next pod or if there's anything you want me to take a look at um let me know either on youtube or on facebook or on twitter i can't promise but if i get the time to do things i will um so yeah thanks for listening and uh hopefully see you next time bye